This is the Talk Archive. Let's look at one final chapter in the book of Jonah as part of this little series that we've been doing called Plenty More, looking at the four different chapters in the book of Jonah. And uh, we've sort of reached the end. Uh, But before we do that, I want to just sort of recap our purpose. Why are we looking at the book of Jonah? Uh, We could have looked at lots of different things. Why are we looking at this one? And the, the reason is that as a church, we have a vision. It's to play our part in the evangelization of the nation, the revitalization of the church, and the transformation of society in Jesus' name. Uh, But we summarize it like this. Let's rewrite the headlines. So we see over Blackpool a load of different stories that are written. You can Google Blackpool and what comes up is articles on the BBC News, but they don't say good things about Blackpool in general. Uh, They say all sorts of uh, terrible things, hopeless things about the town. And I think that a town that gets a lot of bad news spoken over it needs some good news spoken to it. And there is no better news than the resurrection of Jesus. So we want to play our part in the evangelization of the nation. We want to tell people in Blackpool about Jesus. And, um, you know, part of that is like um, doing stuff collectively, like running Alpha or um, maybe things like life skills. But most of it is just each one of us in all of the many different places that God places us just being faithful in trying to introduce people to who Jesus is. And so over this term, we want to focus on that. We're looking at Jonah, and then we're going to do a series, particularly just looking at evangelism for five weeks or so, starting next week. But the question is that I've been asking myself, how do I help us get confident in that? How do you get confident um, introducing people to Jesus? Because it can be quite a nerve-wracking thing or or a strange thing to do or uncomfortable, right? How do you get confident? Well, one of the ways that I found I get confident generally is seeing somebody else doing a really bad job of something, right? Anybody with me on that? Yeah, it's just such a boost, isn't it? When you just see someone making a right mess of something, you think, yeah, I could do that a lot better than you could. Um, Just a warning, if that's not you, you're probably the person we're looking at. I'm just so sorry to break that to you, but, you know, it is what it is, right? Um, So this week, a few of us went to a little conference at HTB in London for church leaders and church staff teams. And we were worshipping together. It was amazing. The band were amazing. Um, But what happened was, um, quite often, the words on the screen, they kept on coming up just like a little bit too late, Right? You know when you just you want to sing it, but you can't because the word's not there yet and you don't know what it is? That kept on happening. Right? Was I annoyed by that? No. I was delighted, right? Because even the great HDB can't put the words up at the right time. And guys, if you're watching, we're going to send you the team. They're going to tell you how to do it. We can do that here. Right? It's a confidence booster. I was actually wondering for a second whether they'd done it on purpose to encourage us, but I didn't want to ask just in case. You know, it's rude, isn't it? Um, the point is Jonah is the worst evangelist I know of. I mean, this guy's awful. He's so bad. And um, you might be sat there thinking, I don't know know if I want to do this. I don't know if I want to be involved in telling people about Jesus. I don't know anybody, actually, as it happens. I don't talk to people. I've never, in fact, I don't say anything. Uh, So don't include me. Um, I would bet my entire life savings, you're not as bad as Jonah. 
And so I hope this sort of series can act as a confidence booster for you, basically, to think, you know what? Even this guy with his heart in completely the wrong place, who tries to run off at his first opportunity, even he was used by God. 120,000 people came to know God through Jonah. That's amazing, isn't it? And so what might he do through you? Because you're much better than he is in my experience. Okay, so I hope you're going to be encouraged. Let's look at our passage. But to do that, we're going to need to look at the previous verse um, from the last chapter. So John was speaking about this last time. It's Jonah 3, verse 10. And um, it says this. When God saw what they did, this is the Ninevites he's talking about, and how they turned from their evil ways, he relented and did not bring on them the destruction he had threatened. So a bit of a recap time. Jonah has finally gone to Nineveh after not being up for it initially. And he's warned the city about God's judgment. And what's happened is that every person from the king, the most important person there, all the way down to the very bottom, even the animals, it says. So the cow, I'm thinking the cow's at the bottom, the king's at the top. All of those people, everybody involved, they've all said, okay, we recognize we are not doing what's right. We want to turn and do what's right. We want to get right with God. So they've put on sackcloth as a sign of humility and they've, and they've tried to turn from what they were doing and come in repentance to God. It's amazing. That's good news. And it says it's 120,000 people plus all of their animals. That's pretty exciting. I mean, John was making the point last week. It's a quite a similar size to Blackpool. So imagine with me, if you want, what would happen if we took a clip of John's talk, we put it on Instagram or Facebook, which we do, and then the whole of Blackpool decided, you know what, we're up for this, okay? We want to join in. We see this vision of Jesus. We think it's exciting. We want to be part of it. And so imagine right now, outside on the square, 140 in Blackpool, it is, 1,000 people. They're like, hello, we're ready. Let's go. I've heard John's talk. It was amazing. We're up for it. Okay, that would be quite encouraging, wouldn't it? That would be an exciting thing to happen. John, he would be off on some world tour. There'd be book deals. Time magazine would vote him as world's sexiest man again. Um, and, you know, it would be, it'd be really exciting. We'd all be wandering around saying, well, yeah, of course, I knew him before he got big. And his earlier stuff's actually better than the latest stuff, in my opinion. All of that. We'd be doing that. It'd be really exciting. Okay, we'd love it, basically. And then imagine how exciting it would be for John. I mean, just like seriously for a moment, just imagine what it would be like to think that your words have completely transformed somebody's life. And as a side note, that is possible for you. Your words can and will radically change people's lives because Jesus will use them to do it. And it is the greatest privilege like I look at some people here who you've had your lives transformed through some of the things that I've said and how God has used them, and it's incredibly moving. It's the greatest privilege of my entire life, I think, to be part of that. And you can be part of that. And Jonah is part of that in our passage. 120,000 times over, he's part of that. And so presumably, he would be quite moved and excited about this opportunity. Uh, so let's have a look, should we, at Jonah's reaction in chapter 4. It says this. 
But to Jonah, this seemed very wrong. And he became angry. He prayed to the Lord and said, isn't this what I said, Lord, when I was still at home? This is what I tried to forestall by fleeing to Tarshish. I knew that you are a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abounding in love, a God who relents from sending calamity. Now, Lord, take away my life, for it is better for me to die than to live. What on earth is that about? Right? What is how could you possibly look at something so beautiful and see it as so wrong? Like, what are you on, Jonah, is what I'm wanting to ask. What is your problem? I think we need to look a little bit at the context of this passage. It's really important. I see Jonah is one of many prophets, and he happens to be from a nation called Israel. That nation had split in two. So you've got Israel at the north and Judah at the south. Jonah, he's from Israel at the top. And uh, he's a prophet who um, went and told Nineveh, a foreign nation, about God. And lots of other um, prophets did that. But lots of them didn't go anywhere to, to talk about what they wanted to say. They stayed. And they preached instead to their own people, to Israel and to Judah. But what they said is the same thing, basically. They said, you need to repent. You guys are supposed to be the good guys, but you're living just like everybody else, or even worse sometimes than everybody else. And so you too need to turn back to the Lord and start to follow him and do what is right. And uh, what we see in, in the books of Kings and also Chronicles, you can read them, is in Judah, you get this mixed picture. It sort of flip-flops back and forth. And the people are like, often they do what's wrong, but then sometimes they think, oh my goodness, you're right, we need to repent. They turn back to the Lord in amazing ways. It's like good, you can read through the kings, like good king, bad king, good king, bad king. Okay? It's quite depressing in a way. (laughs) It's an emotional roller coaster, if nothing else. Uh, But Israel in the north is not like that. In the north, it's just bad king, bad king, bad king, bad king, bad king. And so imagine what it's like then for Jonah, this prophet, who presumably has also spoken to his own people. And we see that just in a little snippet in Two Kings, where he's speaking to his own people. Asking them, pleading with them, turn back to the Lord, turn away from what you're doing, come back to him, and nothing, nothing. Bad king, bad king, bad king. Imagine what it's like for him to then finally be sent to someone else, your worst enemies, and see them remarkably and wonderfully turn to the Lord. It's pretty gutting, right? Actually, in some ways. This is not just like your best mate getting a bit ahead of you or something like that. This is like your worst enemies getting everything you had hoped for for your families and friends while they throw it all away. That's what it's like. And he is furious. He's livid. He's gutted. First take home though, Don't miss out on how good the things that God wants to do in your life are just because they weren't what you expected them to be. You might have an idea of how God wants to use you and he might do it like that, but he might not. And if he doesn't, it will still be good even if it's not what you expected it to be. 
And don't miss how good it is just because it wasn't fitting with the plan. I mean, how many of us have ever sort of taken our plans and our ideas to God? Do we do that? Yeah, we take ideas and plans to God. It's a good thing to do. I recommend it. If you have a plan, definitely take it to God. You can come with it, come to him and say, here's my idea, will you bless it? And that's fine, it's good. But it's not as good as saying, what's your idea? Can I bless it? Show me what you're doing. Show me and I'll do it and I'll bless it. Because then we get to celebrate. If Jonah had been involved in that kind of work, then he would be going absolutely off the roof when the Ninevites repented, right? Jesus tells his disciples to go from town to town and he says sometimes they'll be welcomed and then they can stay. Sometimes they won't be welcomed, at which point they brush the sand off their, off their shoes and they walk on. And it's the same for us. There are towns that God, towns that God is leading you to, people that God is leading you to. And don't be discouraged when you hit the ones that aren't where he's leading you. You can still recognize the goodness of what he wants to do through you. Don't miss out how good God's work is just because it wasn't what you expected. Let's crack on. Back into the passage. Jonah's having a tantrum, basically, is what's happening. He's being what's known as a man-child. And uh, this is a fully grown, fully grown man. But they have the mental capacity for emotional handling of a child, right? Does anybody know any? Yeah, you can point to them if they're here. No, don't, don't do that. Don't, I saw a point. I saw a point. I couldn't call it too late. Anyway, don't do that. Um, so Jonah's having a meltdown, basically. And, um, and he's throwing his toys out the pram. But actually, it's a lot worse than that. Because in the start of the passage, we see his description and uh, it says that it seemed very wrong to him, and Jonah was angry. And it's interesting because there are two words there, two Hebrew words that are used by the author. The first is raka, and uh, that means uh, evil, basically. It's like just evil. And um, it's quite a strong word. The second word is hara, and that means rage. It's like a, a rage that's just like fiery, is basically the word. But it's interesting because those two words are the same words that were originally used for God's rage against the evil of Nineveh. So in Jonah 1, God sees the racker, the evil of Nineveh, and he experiences horror. He's raging against it. And now Jonah rocks up in chapter 4, and he, he thinks God is that evil. And he's that angry. I mean, this is just like unbelievable blasphemy, basically. He's saying to God, like, you are as bad as the people you've forgiven for forgiving them. You're as bad as they are. You might have been angry about them, but I'm angry with you because you're exactly like them for being so forgiving. It seems to me that Jonah has a mercy problem, a serious mercy problem, basically. And so I guess I just want to name it here, that it is never wrong to forgive somebody who has wronged you. And it is never wrong to love somebody that other people think are unlovable. It's never wrong to be like Jesus, basically. He was forgiving and merciful time and time again to the most unlovable people. And we can learn to do that. We do not have a mercy problem here. This is the church of Jesus and not of Jonah, thankfully. And what that means as well for you is that if you're coming in thinking you're unforgivable or thinking you're unlovable, you're not. 
Not only does Jesus love you, we do, actually, as it happens. And this is a church that welcomes. And so, welcome. It's really great to have you. And if you're someone who finds it hard to love people who are unlovable, we're going to talk a little bit about how we soften our hearts, because that's an important thing that we need to learn. Back to the story, and in God's kindness, he reaches out to Jonah as he's like charging off in his sulk and his rage. And he says, is it right for you to be angry? Jonah doesn't reply. He's too angry, silent treatment sort of stuff he's going for. And instead, he goes up a hill. We pick up the story in verse five. It says, Jonah had gone out and sat down at a place east of the city. There he made himself a shelter, sat in its shade and waited to see what would happen to the city. He's basically still holding out hope that God's gonna obliterate them, right? Nice guy. Then the Lord God provided a leafy plant and made it grow up over Jonah to give shade for his head to ease his discomfort. And Jonah was very happy about the plant. Good for you, bud. But God's so kind, isn't he, actually? He doesn't need to bother with this guy. But he's interested. So he reaches out to him. And then it's quite hot out in the desert. So, so he provides a plant to ease Jonah's discomfort while he's raging about this thing. It's so kind. But now it gets complicated. Because it says, but at dawn... The next day, God provided a worm which chewed the plant so that it withered. When the sun rose, God provided a scorching east wind and the sun blazed on Jonah's head so that he grew faint. He wanted to die and said, it would be better for me to die than to live. But God said to Jonah, is it right for you to be angry about the plant? And he said, it is. I'm so angry, I wish I was dead. Have you ever had one of those days? Right, just a bad day. Have <laughs> you ever had a day where 120,000 of your worst enemies joined your church? You went up a hill trying to escape them. Your favorite plant got eaten by a worm and died. And then a scorching east wind meant you passed out because of the heat. Anyone? <laughs> no? <laughs> Me neither. Sounds like a terrible day though. So I'm with him for being quite angry about this. The question is, why would God bring that about? Why would he do it? Because he's active in some of these things. The worm, what's with the worm? It's unnecessary, right? Is he just kicking Jonah while he's down? I know he's been unkind, but why is God doing this? Uh, the answer is, I think he's, he's providing a picture. It's an analogy that Jonah gets to learn from. It's like an acted out story. And so God lands his point like this. While Jonah's like raging and and angry now about the plant, fixated on that, and he's probably forgotten about all of the Ninevites, God says this, you have been concerned about this plant, though you didn't tend it or make it grow. It sprang up overnight and it died overnight and then he lands it. And should I not have concern for the great city of Nineveh, in which there are more than 120,000 people who cannot tell their right hand from their left and also many animals. 120,000 people, and Jonah had completely missed it because of a plant. He was more interested in his own comfort than all of these thousands of people. Here's the second take home. A hard job needs a soft heart. We need to soften our hearts if we're going to be used by God. 
We need to see the need around us and be deeply moved with compassion for the people that we see. Jonah's problem is not just that he wanted to do one thing in Israel and God wanted to do something else in Nineveh. It's that he's selfish. He's not interested in other people. He's more interested in his plant than the 120,000 people. One of my sort of heroes of the faith is Jackie Pullinger. She's an amazing woman and missionary who moved to Hong Kong to work in one of the toughest neighborhoods with heroin addicts. She's worked there for over 50 years. And uh, one of my favorite quotes of hers is that she says this, we need to have soft hearts and hard feet. The problem with most of us is we have hard hearts and soft feet. It's quite hard to take the message of Jesus to a hurting town. It's quite hard to bring about hope in a hopeless place. But to do something hard, we need soft hearts. We need to be softened and driven by compassion. It won't be good enough if we think, yeah, I should probably do this because Andy talked about it on Sunday and I feel obliged. I feel, I'll feel bad if I come back next week and he's still talking about it and I haven't done anything. That won't be enough. The only thing that will make a difference is if God stirs our hearts for the people in our town. If he moves us, breaks our hearts for people. And there's two ways I think you can soften your heart. The first is that you can do it until you feel it. That's one way that's quite powerful. A love is a doing word more than a feeling word. You can do it until you feel it. I don't know if you've ever noticed. In fact, we can try it now. If you, um, if you close your eyes just for a moment, and if you just sort of put your head down like this, serious face and see, see what that sort of feels like. Right now, if you lift your head back up and sort of look up with your eyes closed, breathe in and smile. Feels quite different, doesn't it? It just feels very different. It's not because you feel, felt happy, so you decided to do it. I told you to do it. It changes something in how we feel. And the same is true when it comes to loving people. We can do it until we feel it. If our hearts are hard, we can choose to love people, choose to act like people with soft hearts, and God will work through it. And the second way is we can pray. We can ask God to soften our hearts. If, you, if you're sort of feeling like, I, I'm actually somewhat apathetic about this. I'm not that bothered if many people come to know Jesus in Blackpool. You can pray and you can say, God, change me. You can say, I don't want to, but I want to want to. And so change me. I was reflecting on like, what should be the last word on Jonah? I looked in my Bible, what's the last word on Jonah? And it turns out to not be the last word of the book, thankfully, because it's quite a depressing end. Um, it's Jesus. Jesus speaks about Jonah in Luke 11. And um, he says this, and then I'll unpick it just for a moment or two. Luke 11, he says, this is a wicked generation. It asks for a sign, but none will be given it except the sign of Jonah. For as Jonah was assigned to the Ninevites, so also will the son of man be to this generation. The men of Nineveh will stand up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it, for they repented at the preaching of Jonah, and now something greater than Jonah is here. I think that the, the message of the book of Jonah is that nobody is too far gone for God's, repent, for God's forgiveness. Nobody is, is too unlovable 
or to un, un, unworthy for God to choose to be gracious and forgiving. And there's a deep irony in the book, basically. And the irony is that the people of Nineveh, the, the bad guys who didn't really deserve anything, they're the ones who get to receive it. They get to receive God's love and his mercy. And Jonah, the good guy, with the kind of hotline to God, he doesn't. He doesn't get it. And so for us, there are options basically before us. We can choose who we're going to be willing to be like. Jesus says in that passage that what Jonah brought to the Ninevites, he is bringing to us. And the message he's bringing to us is you can have a relationship with God. You can know him. You can know his forgiveness and he will use you to do remarkable things. Or you can try and do it in your own strength. You can say, I'm off to Tarshish or I don't want them to be forgiven or I'd rather have my plant or whatever it is. You can do that option. And my challenge, my encouragement to us is, will we be people like the Ninevites, willing to be changed, willing to be, to be forgiven, to be used? And if we are willing, then God will transform us. If we're willing to be humble, then he'll transform us and he'll use us. And it might be as well, I, I think in a moment we'll just give an opportunity, just in case there's anybody who hasn't, who hasn't received that for the first time. Anyone who you think, well, I'm not a Christian yet. I don't know if this is for me, but I want it to be for me. We'll give an opportunity to pray for you in a moment, if that's you. But for all of us, there's a calling, I think, here to be willing to play our part in what the Lord is doing in transforming our town. And so should we pray? Why don't we stand? Lord, just come by your Holy Spirit and soften our hearts. We don't want to miss what you're doing just because it wasn't what we expected. We had a plan or we thought it would be like this or I expected I'd be married by now or uh, to know that it's not working out the way I'd hoped. My job should be this, that or the other. We don't want to miss what you're doing because it wasn't what we expected. So show us your plan. Give us your visions. Calm the Holy Spirit and fill every single person now with your presence that they would know who you're calling them to and then who next and then who's next and then where next trusting that if we're obedient and humble you will use us to do amazing things and soften our hearts Lord that we would look at the many many people around us and just be heartbroken for them for those who are lost those who are hurting those who just don't yet know Jesus but really should just break our hearts